Hello and welcome back to Parallel Passion. This is episode 16 and this time I'm joined by Eric Berlin. He's the CEO of the social podcast app Breaker, so we talked a lot about podcasting. It gets a bit meta at times, but you're listening to a podcast right now, so I figured you'll be at least slightly interested in the landscape and the future of the podcast industry. We also talked about his time at SoundCloud, how Slack is disrupting our lives, and geeked out on coffee. Now let's dive right into it. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Parallel Passion. Hey, Miha. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, the pleasure is mine. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, morning in San Francisco. Yeah, it's it's been a while since we just saw each other, I guess. So um, for anyone who might not know you, why don't you give like a quick introduction of who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm a software developer, um, currently co-founder and CEO of a company called Breaker. Um, which makes a podcast app. So if you're listening to this podcast, you might want to check it out. Uh, it's a, a sort of better better podcast experience, um, really nice design. Uh, we have a great designer on our team. And um, yeah, the, uh, the main differentiator from other podcast apps is that uh, we have a, a social experience. So you can follow friends on the app. I actually just followed you, Miha. Oh. And um, <laughs> then once you have some friends, you can uh, send them recommendations and uh, see what they're listening to. And and uh, so it's nice. And then you can leave comments and like episodes and, and we make recommendations based on that as well. So we do some machine learning to uh, recommend podcasts, um, similar to the way that Netflix uh, recommends movies or Spotify recommends songs. Um, but most pod, there aren't a lot of other podcast apps that that actually use machine learning to make recommendations that are really personalized. So yeah, I think most of podcast apps don't do anything. At most, they suggest you stuff that other friends listen to on on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, I, the the way I describe most, the way I talk about most other podcast apps is um, it's a RSS reader with a play button, mm-hmm. and ours uh, really what we've tried to do is make it. A little bit more like uh, what Instagram is for photos, we try to be for audio, for podcasts. And so um, in the same way that, um, you know, you can like photos on Instagram, you can like podcast episodes on Breaker. And um, if you want to leave a comment, you can leave a comment and your friends can read your comment and reply and all that. So um, it's a really, really different experience. And I think um, it makes the the whole podcast experience um a lot more rich and it's less of like a, a solo kind of isolated experience um, where you're just listening by yourself and more of a sort of community experience. And the, the main benefit is you get great recommendations. There's so many, I think when I, I first built Breaker, I subscribed to about a hundred different podcasts, which is a lot, <laughs> but uh, now I think I subscribe to like 300 or, or something crazy like that. So, oh wow, um, yeah, I've, I've uh, gotten a lot of great new, new show recommendations just by using the app I built. So um, I really like it. And I, I'd uh, encourage everyone who's listening to try it out as well. I, I have many follow-up questions. But um, before we go into that, I, I'd, I'd like to point something out that by pure coincidence, uh, I have two Ruby heroes uh, like in a row because my previous guest was Linda Lucas who got a Ruby Hero Award. And while researching, I found that you also got one, I think a, a year later or something like that. Now two in a row, so you'll you'll have to keep the streak going. I don't know who 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 you'll have next, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess there's uh, I don't know forty or fifty of us to choose from. It was a real honor, and uh, I think I received that in two thousand. Trying to remember the year, thirteen. Yeah, I think it was fourteen because thirteen I was there, so and it wasn't that right. Um, it was it was at the RailsConf in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually invited to speak at a, another conference um, in Brazil that same uh, that same week. So I had to cancel my trip to Brazil, which uh, I've still never been back to Brazil. So um, that's a shame. One of these days, yeah, I know. I'd, I'd really like to go at some point, but um, anyway, I, I uh, was happy to cancel to to go to Chicago and attend RailsConf and and receive this award, um, which I guess was for a lot of the open source work. Um, that I did so. Yeah, you you were very active in the. Uh, I think like you did the Rails admin right and the Fast Ruby and um, lots of things like that. But uh, um, I mean, you also participated in the the um, Rails Summer of Code, Rails Girl Summer of Code. 
right? Yeah. Um, for a few summers. Uh, well, I did the original Summer of Code and then um, Rails Girls after that did, uh, yeah, some uh, subsequent projects. Um, there, there was an original Ruby Summer of Code that uh, that I was a mentor oh. um, for Rails Admin. And then um, after that, I did uh, Rails Girls Summer of Code for, for three years, which is a, a great program. I did a bunch of open source work. Rails Admin was probably the most popular project um, that I started, but there's a bunch of others that I just contributed to. I, I do a lot less open source work today. Now that I'm running a company, I don't really have the time for it anymore. But um, yeah, I, I uh, you know, Breaker is still written mostly in Ruby. Our, our API server and, and backend um, is a Ruby app. Oh, interesting. And um, I still... Um, you know, uh, still write write code on that project and still um, contribute back uh, little patches to either you know different libraries we use or Rails. Uh, very very rarely now, but mm -hmm. at one point I was working on uh, I, I don't even know the number, but probably twenty different open source projects um, in some capacity, <laughs> um, either as a maintainer or a contributor. So yeah, but be before this, you worked on SoundCloud. And um, when I was uh, Googling you and SoundCloud, all I found was like uh, people pronouncing Nike and Adidas. Oh. So um, what what else did you do there other than recording people, how they pronounce two brands? Yeah, uh, I worked at SoundCloud for about three years, um, uh, also around 2013 to 2015, something like that, 2016. Uh, it's a very international company. It was uh, based in, in Berlin, Germany. Um, which is actually where I got my last name from. Yeah, I changed my last name when I got married uh, to Berlin. Yeah, this is this is something I wanna I wanna know more about. Actually, yeah, no, ha happy to talk about that uh, as well. But uh, just to finish this story first, um, it was a very international company. Uh, SoundCloud recruited people from all over. So I'm from the U.S. Um, there were people from uh, obviously Germany, but also all over Europe. Um, Canada, the UK, New Zealand, um, all different countries. And uh, so, you know, we would have these conversations. And at some point, I, I don't know exactly how it came up, but we were talking about shoes. And I pronounced uh, Nike, the, the way that Americans say it, every American I've ever met pronounces the shoe brand as Nike. Uh, but almost everyone else in the room who I was talking to said Nike. Um, which just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> and then I was like, well, let's try to find the official pronunciation. And so I went to all these uh, like television advertisements of Nike to hear how they said it. And I realized they never actually say the name of the company <laughs> in the advertisement. They say, just do it. And they have the swoosh, but they never, and then sometimes it's spelled out, but they never actually say Nike or Nike. But it's an American brand, right? So you would think that it's pronounced like Americans do. It is, but it's a global brand. I mean, I think Nike, you know, is one of those brands that has resonance all, all around the world. And I think um, it's actually kind of clever of them as a, as a company to leave it ambiguous and not say which pronunciation is, is correct um, and just leave it as a, a matter of debate because I think that's, that's more interesting and mysterious. So mm. um, anyway, in, in the process of doing that, I realized it wasn't just Nike uh, that people pronounce differently. There was a whole bunch of other shoe brands uh, that everyone said differently so i said adidas but some people said adidas well that's a german one right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so um oh and then i said puma but i think the uh the australians uh said puma so um anyway i i made all these recordings of different people where they basically just said their name what country they were from and how they pronounced four different shoe company names uh and then uploaded it to soundcloud of course because i was working at soundcloud at the time um, and, um, yeah, I think that's the most popular thing on my, on my SoundCloud profile, but <laughs> I, I had this idea that if you just got someone, if you, if you met someone and you didn't know what country they were from, but you asked them to say four different shoe company names, you could figure out very precisely, um, with just those four, four pronunciations where somebody was from. So ah, that, that was the idea. So sort of like triangulate the country by the shoe brand pronunciation. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That could be an app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. It's it's a it's a good party trick where you know if you're in a in a room uh, with people you don't know where they're from but you just can ask for ask them to say these four words and then uh, take a take a pretty good guess. Yeah. So um, you brought it up before and like when I met you the last time, well, at the first and last time in person, uh, you were still uh, Michael's Ober, 
And now, uh, as you said, you changed your last name to Berlin. Um, oh yeah, obviously you got married, but like, why did you, why did you guys choose this, this name? Yeah. So, um, my last name was Michaels Ober, which, um, is quite a mouthful. It's a hyphenated last name. There's a little dash between Michaels and Ober. And, um, I'm, I'm the only person who has ever had that last name. Uh, my mother's last name was Michaels and my father's last name was Ober. And they invented a new last name, Michaels Ober, when I was born, mm -hmm. uh, just to put it together. Uh, and I never had any uh, siblings. Um, so it, it was a name that was sort of unique to me. It didn't have a, a lot of sort of uh, historical legacy or, or whatever. Um, and it was it was actually quite annoying. Um, you know, I, I was living in Germany, but traveling quite a bit. Um, and, you know, uh, all of these airline computer systems, which I think date back to the 1970s, <laughs> yeah, um, none of them actually were able to understand the, the hyphen. Um, and so it was, it was really quite a pain um, when, you know, having to show my ID or explain it or spell it or all these things. And it was just, uh, it was just a, a mouthful of a name. And so when I got married, my wife and I, we, we wanted to have the same last name, but um, I would have felt really guilty asking her to take my name because I thought it was, it was such a, a sort of, um, a burden to, to have the long hyphenated last name asking her to take that didn't seem fair. Mm -hmm. And so, um, just in the same way that, that my name was invented by my parents, I decided, okay, if they invented a last name for me, I can invent a last name for myself. <laughs> um, and so my wife and I came up with one together, uh, and we had lived in Berlin together for, for several years. And, um, we didn't meet there, but, but it was a, played a significant role in, in our relationship. And, um, Yeah, my, my wife actually wrote a really nice blog post um, just explaining our whole thought process um, and how we how we arrived at that name and all the other names we considered. But we really like it. Uh, it's a great last name. It's short. It's easy to spell um, because it's a the name of a capital city. There's sort of a, a word or a pronunciation for it in almost every language. Yeah, um, I actually heard uh, one of the reasons why Jeff Bezos decided to name his company Amazon is because Uh, for the same reason that because it's a rainforest. So every language has a, a word for Amazon. And so, um, you know, the World Wide web, you need a, a, a name that makes sense, not just in, in English and in America, but all over the world. So, uh, we like that. And it's, uh, similar to Amazon. It's near the beginning of the alphabet as well. So, yeah. um, that can be, uh, advantageous for, uh, it's, uh, at certain times. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's just a lot of things that, that we liked about the name and, um, decided to to pick it and rename ourselves and how hard it is to rename uh, like when when you are um online and and everywhere like you have usernames everywhere um and i'm, I'm sure um you forgot some places or even forgot passwords of of some places to update your name there yeah i got married over a year ago and i think i'm still not done updating every everything you know i've <laughs> signed up for hundreds of online services over the years which most of them when you sign up ask for your first and last name i should probably just you know do a google search at some point and uh try to find well i i did one recently maybe i can share some oh yeah yeah no <laughs> it's uh, a project for uh, a rainy day i guess but um yeah in in general it's uh it hasn't been that important you sound like an ultimate hipster with having last name berlin and your nickname pretty much everywhere is sf eric so like san francisco and berlin yeah i don't i don't know if i'm a hipster i don't really identify with as a hipster but um But I do have an affinity for for both of those cities, uh, so, and they are they are encoded into my my username and now my my surname. Were Were you always like um, interested in in podcasts, or was it something that like because um, a lot of people upload their podcasts to SoundCloud? Like, were you familiar with um, more familiar with podcasts while at SoundCloud? Um, a little bit of both. I think I have listened to podcasts for years. Uh, before I worked at SoundCloud. But when I was at SoundCloud, I think, um, you know, I, I spent a lot more time listening to podcasts. I think, for one, podcasts just have become more and more popular. Um, when I was there, uh, Serial, which uh, was, you know, the most popular podcast uh, of all time up to that point, it had 100 million downloads. Mm -hmm. That came out in, in 2014. And I think that really sparked a lot of 
um, investment in into you know more more companies and more people decided, hey, I should start a podcast. Um, much the way that that you probably thought you should start a podcast. And so, <laughs> um, you know, I think in uh, before that, you know, a lot of the the podcast content was stuff that was just on the radio and then sort of converted into to a digital format. Uh, you know, a lot of NPR, BBC, uh, you know, existing radio networks. Yeah. But um, now there's a ton of original content that that's only you know just just podcasts, and so. Um, you know, I think that's gotten me to listen a lot more. I'll also say that when I was working at SoundCloud, in addition to just being immersed by, uh, Serial was hosted on SoundCloud, by the way. So that was like um, a big part of it, just to kind of be there, have a front row seat to mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the success of that podcast and and being the host of, of that, being the platform um, for their success um, was really motivating. And lots of people, uh, I mean, people around the world, but especially people in SoundCloud were, um, really captivated by, uh, by that podcast, by Serial and by that story. Um, so I got really into it as well. So how come SoundCloud never decided to go like um, podcast only or to like um, either spin off or have like a separate product for pod podcasts only? Because a lot of people upload there and you have uh, all the architecture there for hosting stuff. You have the liking, you have the commenting, you have the social aspect, you have communities there. Um there, there were discussions. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think it was a huge missed opportunity for SoundCloud. And I think um, that's, that's one of the things that, that motivated me to start Breaker. Um, I tried when I was within SoundCloud to, to kind of push for that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, the founders of the company, um, they, they were both musicians and they were much more interested in the, the musical aspects uh, right. of SoundCloud. Right. And, um, you know, in some ways it, it was a, a very rational decision. Um, I think something like 90% of the listening activity was to, to music, not to audio, mm -hmm. uh, podcasts and other audio content. And so, you know, if you had to, you know, if you're a startup, you don't have all the resources in the world, you're competing against bigger companies and you have to, you have to focus, you have to choose what to work on. And so, you know, if you're going to choose between the thing that's 90% of, of listener activity and 10%, um, I think it's a pretty rational decision to choose the, the thing that's 90%. Oh, yeah. Um, but the sort of counter argument to that, and the thing that I really believe in is that that 90% isn't really growing, right? The number of people who are, you know, listening to music is pretty much, you know, everyone knows about music. Nobody's discovering music for the first time. Yeah. Um, except, you know, maybe very young children uh, <laughs> who, who are just born, maybe hear music for the first time. But but it's not really a growing market. People know about music and it's it's kind of this fixed size pie. And then, you know, you just have to fight over the the pieces with, you know, Spotify and Apple and, and Amazon and all the other players in the music space. And and YouTube nowadays, which, which drives me insane. YouTube, everybody. I mean, yeah, everybody everybody has a, a music service. So, um, you know, where podcasting is really a growing market. And so it's less about necessarily, um, you know, fighting over the pieces of a fixed size pie. It's about this growing pie. And there can be lots of, of winners uh, through that growth process. And so, um, you know, the other the other reason why I think podcasting is um, so much better than music is, you know, podcasting, you don't have to get anyone's permission to start a podcast, you can just record as, as we're doing right now uh, and, and you know, put it up on the internet, Rec save that audio file, put it in an RSS feed, put it on the internet and you have a podcast and you don't have to get anyone's permission to do that. Um, obviously, there's directories, uh, you know, Apple's is, is the biggest. Um, but even if Apple doesn't list you in their directory, you can still distribute your podcast through the internet. It's really a sort of open distributed platform. Um, and there's, you know, there's not really entrenched, um, you know, sort of uh, businesses or, you know, large companies versus the music industry where you have, you know, this whole, uh, you know, record labels, record publishers, all these sort of middlemen who are taking their cut. Um, and th this sort of existing and entrenched, um, business who you have to, uh, you have to sort of, uh, make a deal with or else they'll sue you out of existence. And so, um, you know, SoundCloud basically made the decision to, to go to focus on music. Um, and I understand why they did that, but it also meant sort of making a deal with with the sort of entrenched music industry 
interests and and instead of sort of doing something that's kind of completely new and and native to the internet and um yeah so you know i think uh looking back i mean i I, I don't know what the founders of the company would say, but but from my perspective, I, I certainly think it was a mistake for SoundCloud not to invest more in podcasts. And um, that's that's sort of the opportunity that, that I'm going after now with Breaker. How long ago did you start Breaker again? Yeah, almost two years ago. We incorporated uh, November of 2016. So, um, but, uh, you know, for a long time, it was just two, two people, me and my co-founder, Leah Culver. Um, just the two of us working on it together. Um, and I think we didn't hire our, our first employee until August 2017. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been sort of, uh, and, and we launched the app about, uh, in March of 2018. It was in a closed, uh, private beta mm -hmm. for, uh, for a few months. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we, it's been live for about 18 months now. And how big is the team now? Uh, we're up to six people now and uh, growing really fast. It could be 10 in the next few months. So yeah, things are, are moving really quickly now. And you're based in San Francisco, right? We are, but we have a, a distributed team. So um, ah, cool. yeah, uh, one of our engineers is based in North Carolina. Um, our uh, support person is based in Ohio. And um We, uh, our designer is Swedish and she, uh, she lives in the, in the U S hmm. um, but, but she's actually happens to be in Sweden now and, and goes back and forth. So, um, yeah, we, we have a, a sort of global team, distributed team. Yeah. I was about to ask you because I, I read somewhere, I don't remember where exactly, but I, I read somewhere that you, when you first moved to Berlin, you thought that like the, the best tech is in or like the best people in tech are in San Francisco and you were afraid that going to Berlin would be working with like um uh, with, without offending anyone like with less capable people but then once you got there you figure out that no like San Francisco is definitely not the mecca there are capable people everywhere and that's why I'm, I was wondering like if you are now uh, fixed on being in San Francisco again or like if you're distributed and um apparently you are <laughs> yeah i like san francisco uh personally i like living here but not everybody does and so um you know the team that that uh we're trying to build you know we're, we're just trying to work with great people and uh if they if they are here or they want to be here we're happy to work with them here we, we do have a small office uh in san francisco but um You know, I think some of the best people in the world don't want to live in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely that was definitely a lesson of um, living in Berlin and, and working in SoundCloud. And yeah, just just as you said, I think I um, very sort of arrogantly believed that you know all the the best people in the world live. You know, they were working at Google or Apple or you know doing a startup or whatever, but um, they were all within a, a sort of fifty mile radius of of San Francisco. Um, And, you know, I was worried, oh, you know, I'd go to SoundCloud and I'd be the best engineer there. And um, that couldn't, couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, <laughs> some of the best engineers I've worked with in my career were at SoundCloud. And, and I think part of the reason SoundCloud was able to recruit um, such a great team was because they were recruiting globally. They weren't just focused on um, people who were from Berlin. They were recruiting people from all over the world. Um, and Germany's uh, immigration law made it uh, possible for people to, from all over to, to come and work in Berlin for SoundCloud. And so, um, yeah, it was an amazing team. And um, that, that was definitely one of the, the lessons for me coming out of there. And um, yeah, happy to, uh, th there's great people here. I mean, I do think San Francisco is a Mecca in a way, um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but there's talented people all over and not all of them want to move here or are able to move here. And yeah, last I heard the salaries in San Francisco were absolutely incredible, like just insane to say the least. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, it's because it's a very competitive dynamic, right? It's, um, you know, if you, if you have a company and you want people to work for your company and they have the option of working for Facebook or Google or uh apple or any of these companies uh netflix you know is is sort of famously pays uh uh you know towards the top of the market as, as well so you're you know you're competing against all these companies and um if you're competing on an even playing field i mean it, you know if we paid the same salaries as as these other companies you know we we just go out of business um you know we couldn't really afford to pay people and so mm. you know instead we try to be very flexible 
you know, with, with where people can work. Um, and we also are, are very generous with, with equity. Um, you know, we give everyone who works at Breaker um, a piece of the company and a, a pretty significant piece. Um, and we think that, you know, really motivates people to, uh, you know, do, do what's right for the company, do what's best for the company, and be thinking all the time about, you know, how can we really make this thing a success, which is exactly uh, what we want everyone to be thinking about. Yeah. And what is your business model? Yeah. So we're still really early stage. Um, and I would say um, I, I could tell you a whole story about uh, how we're going to make money in the future. But um, today we we make very little. So um, I, I, you know, anything I say would really just be a prediction um, that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at this point, we're really focused on on growth. And, um, you know, luckily, we we have enough money in the bank that um, we don't need to worry about revenue um, anytime soon, and, and we can just keep growing the company. And, um, you know, my belief is that if you build a, a business, you know, a consumer startup with millions of, of people who love the product you've built, um, that's actually a lot harder to do than uh, figuring out how to, to make money from it. You know, there's only so many business models, and, you know, you can apply those business models to almost any business, right? So, yeah. Um, you know, it's at some point, once we have millions of users, you know, the, the two business models that seem to work best uh, are either a subscription model, so something similar to Netflix or Spotify, um, or more of an advertising model. Um, and, you know, I think um, one of those two models will, will probably work for us, but it doesn't really make sense to apply those until we're at a, a big enough scale where, uh, you know, we have millions of people using the app every day. So that's what we're really focused on at the moment. Um, that said, we did just launch uh, our first product mm-hmm. for podcasters, uh, and that's also our first product that uh, has any revenue for the the company. So uh, it's called Breaker Upstream, and uh, it's a marketplace for podcasters who want to distribute, uh, who want to basically charge money for their content. So we let you put up a paywall, um, either a monthly subscription or charging per episode. So um, if you wanted to, you don't have to, but um, maybe you know this interview. Maybe you'll edit it down to uh, an hour or something like that. Um, but maybe there's like 30 minutes of extra audio that um, that you had to cut, but that some people would be willing to pay to listen to if they really liked the, the interview. Um, so you could upload that to Upstream right. um, and then charge a uh, dollar or whatever you think it's worth. You get to set the price. Uh, I can put on the pre-show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever, whatever you want to do. So we think that's a really interesting business model for podcasters, we think it's it's a much better alternative um, to advertising, especially if you have a, a really small but loyal audience who's willing to pay people who really value their time. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to listen to ads. They don't want to skip through the ads. Um, they want to support you directly, right? They're, they're willing to pay a dollar or five dollars a month, something like that yeah. um, to to support the work you do. And so yeah, we think that's a, a great model for us and, and for podcasters. That's really, mm-hmm. we didn't build it so that we could make money. We really built it so that podcasters could could make money um, and support themselves being podcasters. Yeah, that's why I'm asking about the business model because I think this podcasting world right now um, is flourishing by being very diverse. Like you have a lot of different players. You have a lot of different ways you can um, listen to, to podcasts. There is no Netflix or podcast or like, for example, YouTube. YouTube owns the the video. Like there is no other, if you have video that you recorded yourself, there like there is no other place you can put it. You put it on on YouTube, and um, podcasts right now are in a place where it's like you said before. It's just a, a file somewhere with an RSS feed, and all the the podcast players would just play it. And do you think this? Um, is sustainable or do you think like where where do you see the the future of podcasts like now that uh, um let's say mass market is trying is starting to listen to podcasts yeah i think there's a a sense in which podcasts are sort of um you know very sort of distributed and and uh you know diverse in that way mm-hmm. um but there's a sense in which they're not which is that um the podcasts that do make money make money from a very small set of advertisers. And so um, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you probably hear the same ads over and over again. Yeah. Um, you know, services like Squarespace and MailChimp um, and Blue Apron and Casper Mattresses. And, and Hover. And Hover, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, those those names probably all ring a bell. And in some ways, the fact that um, 
I can just rattle them off means that, um, you know, in some ways, you know, that, that advertising is working, right? It's seeping into my brain and, and I can recall all those brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, there's, it's really just a handful of companies that are, are, um, propping up the entire podcast market today. Um, and if those companies, you know, if a, a marketing manager at one of those companies decided to change the strategy away from, from podcasts, um, you know, a lot of your favorite podcasts might not be able to exist anymore. So, you know, I think in that sense, it's, it's a little bit fragile. And I think the existing business models don't work well. You know, if you have a podcast with less than really, you know, 50,000 subscribers, you know, most advertisers aren't interested in, in talking to you, um, to, to be an advertiser. So, um, and, and then, you know, if, if you're looking to be an advertiser, um, you know, the, the, the prospect of advertising on podcasts that you don't have the same advertisers on podcasts that you have, uh, on other places. So like, for example, on TV or even on YouTube, there's a lot of, uh, brand advertising, right? Um, companies like Coca-Cola or Nike, like we were talking about earlier, um, you know, they'll run advertising, uh, to, to basically, um, you know, create a, a brand impression. Um, so that you, you feel, you know, the next time you're shopping for shoes, you think about Nikes or whatever. Um, you don't really have those type of advertisers on podcasts. The type of advertisers you have, um, are the ones I mentioned where it's a, a direct response. Um, the way that there's no tracking, right? Because, uh, it's not like you're clicking on a podcast, right? It's, it's going into your ears and then you're taking some action later. And where do you stand on that issue? Like, do you provide uh, analytics or like what kind of tracking do you do? Uh, well, you know, the thing about Breaker is that um, it's it's a very open platform. And so, uh, you know, we, we provide podcasters, you know, just the, the same data that's available to everyone. So podcasters can see how many subscribers they have, but everyone, anyone can look at a podcast and see how many subscribers they have on Breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we we try to be transparent about that. And then obviously with things like, how many likes did a podcast get? How many comments did a podcast get? That's all visible. So there's no data. There's no data that's available only to podcasters. All data that's available to podcasters is available to listeners as well. Okay. Um, so there's there's no secrets, but we're very open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I was going to say there, you know, there's there's no there's no uh, tracking, and so the way that um, the companies have to track things is with discount codes. Um, you, you know, again, that probably sounds very familiar if you listen to a lot of podcast ads, um, you know, they're almost always giving some sort of discount, uh, on the product, which again, you know, if you're selling something, um, and you're, you know, you're paying for, for marketing, you're paying, you know, for the advertising channel. And, uh, so that costs you money. And then you have to, you can't sell the item at a a full price. You have to give a discount as well. If you want to know whether that channel is actually working or not. And so, um, you know, uh, I, I think that that works for um, a, a very relatively small set of companies, relatively small set of advertisers. And I think because uh, podcasts are so limited in that way, um, the, the podcast market is relatively small. And I think unlocking new business models, um, you know, ones where uh, people can pay directly, like we've done with Upstream, um, that, that will just allow a lot more podcasts to exist, a lot more podcasts to flourish, um, which either, you know, their audience is too small for advertisers to care, or there's just not enough advertiser dollars in the podcast ecosystem, because it's only coming from this handful of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you their Casper mattresses is only going to advertise on on so many podcasts, right? They can't advertise right. every podcast in the world. Right. So so you think the future of like, uh, podcasting is in, in user supported content, so that that people will pay for the for the content that they listen to? I think it's I think it's going to be a mix. And so I think some content will be free, some content will be ad supported, mm-hmm. and some content um, will be paid. And it's very similar. Uh, you know, if you think about television today, um, you know, there's, uh, there's television that you can get for free, right? You can buy an antenna. Um, and, you know, through the airwaves, get network television in the in the US, you know, yeah. ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, those television networks, you know, they just come for free over the air. Um, and then, you know, if you want, um, you know, more channels, you can uh, pay for cable. Mm-hmm. And then if you want, um, you know, advertising free programming, you can pay for uh, services like HBO, uh, or Showtime or Netflix. And so, you know, those are all, um, all those business models exist. 
um, because people spend a lot of time listening to or watching watching television. Um, and so it can support all those different models. And people people spend um, almost as much time listening to to audio. You know, in the in the U.S., after sleep, work, and TV, uh, listening to audio is the fourth most common activity that people do. Uh, people listen to audio on average in the U.S. four hours per day. Also, the thing is, when you're listening to a podcast, you are most likely not doing only that. So you're either, I don't know, driving or running or like you you rarely just sit down and all you do is listen to a podcast. Unlike watching TV or YouTube, like you're focusing on that one stuff. That's true, which is another reason why I think advertising probably makes less sense um, as a business model. But yeah, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, all of, all of these, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it, it plays out, but I think um, there's there's a lot of opportunities for sort of um, more money to come into the podcast ecosystem, which I think is a good thing because it just means there'll be more and more great content, more and more uh, shows that that people will love to listen to. So um, I'm I'm excited about that, and we're we're working at Breaker to try to make that happen. Yeah, no, that's I'm I'm just like this is very meta, uh, I guess, but I'm I'm just uh, interested, like not just because I have a podcast. Like I, I started because I want to talk to interesting people and. Having a podcast is the easiest way to just like send out an email to someone like, "Hey, I want to talk for one hour." Because <laughs> if I just do it just because, like, you will probably say, "Oh, yeah, no, maybe next week," and then like that next week will never come. But like, I, I have a podcast, and then now oh, suddenly people have <laughs> suddenly people have time. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just like uh, interested in where this market is going. Because then, like, I also just recently listened to an episode of the Menu Bar. Uh, where Marco Arment was um, like saying his views on how he likes the the open uh, podcast market that it is now, but um, I don't think I completely agree because I, I think uh, a lot of big players are are coming into the podcast world. Um, like now that it's being adopted by the mass market, uh, like you said, Serial was huge, and I think Serial changed a lot of people's view on what podcasts are and what they can be. Yeah. And I think they are attracting more and more of the big players. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing that the big players are coming into the market. And um, you know, if they're if they're creating content, I think that's great. Uh, you know, the more good content, the more things to listen to, um, the better. So, uh, you know, a lot of some of my favorite podcasts are actually you know created by um, you know relatively large media organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, Yeah, I don't think that's that's a bad thing, and I think if podcasts are going to become a mainstream, uh, you know, if it's kind of going to take over from radio, which I think eventually it will, um, I think relatively soon it will actually. Um, then you know, all of you know, everyone, you know, big players and small players are are going to move over, and so mm -hmm. um, you know, the big players, I think they they have a business model. Um, that works, you know, uh, with advertising. And so my sense is that they'll probably just bring, bring over that business model that they have. But for the sort of, uh, you know, newer players and, and more upstarts, you know, independent players, um, you know, that's why we created Breaker Upstream um, for them. So, you know, they, you know, they don't have a business model, they don't have advertisers. Uh, and at the beginning, they don't have a large audience to attract advertisers. So, um, How can they support themselves? How can they make money so that they can make more content at a higher quality uh, and, you know, just do it full time, right? Quit, quit whatever their day job is to be a podcaster. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we really want to make that possible. And so that's, that's sort of what's motivating us. And that's what um, motivated us to, to launch Breaker Upstream. Yeah, no, that, that's that's great, and I like I fully support that. I I don't plan to quit my day job just yet, okay. but uh, I'm I'm happy that like things are moving in in this direction. I mean, this show has Patreon, but you know how many people support on Patreon? Like not much, right? Not many. Yeah, and you know people people do podcasts for different reasons. Some people have a podcast to make money. Some people do it like you said. You know, you're motivated by having conversations with people who you want to have conversations with. So yeah, um, you know. That's fine. You don't need to not not everyone needs to make money from it. Um, and I think um, but for the very best content, you know, for things like cereal, uh, producing cereal is expensive. Oh, right. Yeah. I think the first season of cereal 
cost something like half a million dollars to to produce. Oh wow! And so you know because think of you know all the I mean first of all there's many full time staff editors you know Sarah who was doing all the interviews she was traveling around you know going back and forth to interview different people taking flights and things like that so um, yeah you know there there was a, and I think it took them you know uh, a year or more to to create it so. Um, you know, when you think about all the all the people involved there, um, you know, obviously it was very successful and mm-hmm. they, they made that money back. Um, you know, it's interesting that they uploaded it to SoundCloud then if like the budget was so huge, I guess. Well, I think the budget, you know, they're all content creators. Um, you know, they're, I, what would you expect them to do? They're not going to make their own uh, hosting platform or or whatever. You know, I think they just don't. Their skill is in the the production of that content. Yeah. Anyway, I, I would like there to be more serials, you know, more great content like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, since serial, you know, there's been a few sort of copycat um, type type programs, and and the creators of serial, uh, you know, you you know have created S Town, and you know some of the people who worked on that. But um, I'd like there to be more than you know one or two shows like that per year. I'd like there to be you know, in the same way there is with television, you know, just tons of, of great content to choose from. And um, for that to happen, I think we do need sort of business model innovation in the podcast space. And since you are obviously interested in, in podcasts, how come you never started one? Um, it's a great question. I mean, I, I go on uh, lots of podcasts as a guest. I think I've been a, a guest on uh, maybe five or 10 different shows. So um I can add this one to the list of that, but you know, for me, uh, that's that's not really my skill. I love listening to podcasts, um, and happy to happy to be a guest on one right now. But um, the idea of sort of producing a show and editing it and and coming up with uh, you know new ideas every week, new topics or, or whatever, um, you know that that doesn't sound as fun to me as as making the software or, or coming on as a guest. And one of those that you were guest on, I uh, just quickly skim, skim through and I found that um, you don't use Slack uh, at, at your company. And since like you before you mentioned that you're distributed, I, I want to know how, how you communicate actually in, in, the, in the company between like people. What, do you, what tools do you use? Yeah, everyone's so surprised uh, that we don't use Slack, which is funny to me because I spent many years of my career uh, working before Slack existed. And <laughs> It's not like Slack specifically, but like some sort of chatting tool, right? Yeah. So, you know, my view on this is that uh, the most valuable resource our company has is sort of uninterrupted time of our um, engineers and designers, you know, our product team. And, I, you know, I feel so strongly about that because I was an engineer um, for so many years, you know, w- working at, at different companies. And I you know, the only time I, I could ever get work done was when I had a, you know, three, four, five hour block of time, um, you know, without any meetings, without people tapping me on the shoulder, mm-hmm. um, without any interruptions where I could just focus on my work um, and uh, and get, get that work done. And so, you know, um, now as the, the CEO of a company, you know, the ability to kind of create an environment um, where people are, you know, doing great work, um, you know, that's, that's one of one of the things that I really value. And so, you know, I've, uh, you know, we have a, a company culture where we don't have a lot of, you know, unnecessary meetings, uh, or long meetings or, or things like that. Um, and, you know, I think if you ask most en- engineers, you know, which do you prefer, you know, meetings or, you know, having a lot of meetings, working in a place with a lot of meetings or fewer meetings, you know, most engineers, I think would say, Oh, you know, fewer meetings, of course. Yeah. Um, but then if you say, oh, you know, do you want Slack? They say, oh, yeah, you know, I want Slack. But to me, uh, you know, Slack, it's just like, um, it's the same thing, right? It's like all these little interruptions that that I think prevent people from getting their work done. And so, um, you know, if something if something's really urgent, you know, the, if the server goes down or something like that, and, um, you know, we, we need to get, you know, co- a coordinated effort of, you know, everyone's uh, online at the same time, you know, we, we have ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's more of an emergency lever. And if everything's going smoothly, we never have to pull that um, versus Slack, which is, you know, just kind of all, all the time um, that that interruptive channel is open. And so, you know, for us, we, we use email, um, we use GitHub um, for on our design team, we use Figma, which is a, a great tool. It's kind of like GitHub for design where, um, you know, our designer can uh, 
you know, basically do something. It's kind of like a pull request on GitHub, um, mm -hmm. and you know, ask for ask for a review on on some work that she's done, um, and then I can go in and I can leave a comment, you know, right right in line, basically, in the same way, uh, you know, on GitHub you can comment on a specific line of code or a specific diff. Yeah. Um, with Figma, you can just click on anything um, and leave a comment right there in line. Say, oh, you know, can we move this two pixels to the left or whatever? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's a great tool. We, we use that. But, um, you know, a lot of these are, are sort of asynchronous or sort of optionally uh, synchronous. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want to use it as a synchronous tool, you can. Uh, you know, if you want to use email, um, you know, send email back and forth very quickly, you can do that. Um, you know, it's it's basically instant. But um, if you uh, and, you know, if you if we need to get on the phone or send text messages back and forth or whatever, we can do that, too. Um, you know, video chat, voice chat, whatever. There, there's many ways to communicate. No shortage of that. But I think the default should be uh, not that you have this. Um, this window open sort of in the background all day where anyone can can ping you at, at any time and you have to mm -hmm. uh, you know there's sort of this expectation it creates an expectation that you you stop what you're doing and respond you know i i just think uh you know for us as a team like i said um i i really value just that uninterrupted time um you know of being able to sit and uh focus and and work uh, you know, without, without people sort of tapping you on the shoulder and Slack creates this environment where anyone in the company can interrupt everyone in the company. Um, and I, I just think that's, um, you know, as the company gets bigger, that, that just gets worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have like explosion of communication cause, uh, everyone can talk to everyone and that's just like, um, it increases exponentially, right. With every new member. Yeah. And, you know, I, a lot of the, you know, the companies I've worked at in the past, you know, a lot of Slack, uh, the, the conversations on Slack, um, there were two things I saw. One was just sort of, um, you know, what I would call kind of water cooler talk, you know, people sharing gifts and, uh, you know, things like that, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, I, I don't have a problem. You know, people don't need to be working 100% of the time they're at the office. But I just think, uh, I don't need to necessarily provide tools to facilitate that. You know, if, if people want to slack off at work, they can slack off at work. But I don't think, you know, as the CEO, I should be like paying for that or like giving you tools that <laughs> it, it makes you feel like you're doing work, but really you're just like trying to find a, a gift to respond to someone else's gift that's like funnier than theirs or whatever. Um, and I do think a lot of time gets wasted that way. I think the other thing that I saw on Slack, uh, working at, at other companies that used it is, um, Again, just sort of being motivated by fear in the sense of uh, people, you know, there would be these channels where people would just post, oh, uh, you know, a competitor just did this, a competitor just did that. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, every time there was like a news article, maybe there was like a negative, uh, negative news story or something like that, that would get posted into the Slack. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, you know, terrible distraction, I think, you know. Yeah, that's definitely not healthy for morale or even just productivity and everything. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, you know, as CEO, I keep an eye on, on my competitors, but um, I don't think it, you know, every employee in the company needs to be reading every single article every time a competitor does something. It, it really, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And we should be focused on what we think mm. um, is, you know, we should be doing, not not necessarily what competitors are doing. It's it's really just a distraction. And same thing with, you know, if there's bad press or news stories like, like that. Um, it's really just, you know, it's like someone's wrong on the internet or someone has an opinion on the internet. <laughs> it doesn't mean everyone on the company needs to, needs to, to look at that or respond to that or think about that. And, and so, um, Again, I think it can just be this really toxic, um, toxic place and, um, or, you know, or it's just cat gifts, which is fine, <laughs> but, um, but not, uh, not that productive. I think some, someone tweeted, I can't find the tweet. I actually spent a lot of time searching for it and, and could never find it, but that was productive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. I should just tweet it and take credit. But, um, some, I think someone tweeted the, the second law of Slack thermodynamics is that, uh, every channel devolves to uh uh 
random. Yeah, this is this is something I would uh, expect from XKCD comic. Yeah, maybe it was a comic, but like, <laughs> you know, basically a channel starts off and, you know, it has a very specific focus and maybe there's only, you know, a small team of people uh, in that channel. And then, you know, more, more and more people join and the topic just keeps going, you know, uh, you know, the discussion keeps going more off topic. And, you know, eventually every channel is just random, right? It's just, uh, at some point, this was a channel that was that uh, was about a specific thing, but you know now it's just the channel. You know it has a, it still has that label, but cat gifts. Uh, yeah, exactly. People are just posting cat gifts or, or whatever they feel like. So, do you still do any public speaking, or are you you don't have time anymore for that now? Uh, well, does this does this count as public speaking? I'm I'm speaking, and uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it does. <laughs> but no, I I used to do a lot of conference speaking. Um, especially during that time when I was working at SoundCloud. And um, I've scaled that back a mm. lot. Because I know you love traveling and all that. I do, but I will say, um, like, I feel I kind of got that out of my system. When I was living in Germany, that was like sort of the travel chapter of my life. And um, Berlin was a home base and I love Berlin. Mm. Um, but I also spent a lot of time in airports um, traveling, which also, you know, it's one of the ways that I really got, got into podcasts, spent a lot of time listening to podcasts in airports, yeah. um, you know, waiting for the, you know, through the security queue and the ticketing queue and getting on the plane and all these times uh, when I was traveling, usually by myself uh, for work to a conference, I would uh, um, be listening to podcasts. So that's when I really got super deep into them. But mm. um, yeah, I, I do much less of that now. I think, you know, again, just uh, being CEO of a company really requires me to uh, do, do less of that travel, less conferences, um, and really just kind of focus on, on the business. So, um, I, I like to end this podcast with like a recommendation from your side. So what would be like three, uh, things and that could, this can either be like a, a book or an article or, uh, I don't know, a YouTube clip or a podcast or like three things that you would recommend to a person. Uh, well, I have a lot of podcasts I could recommend. Um, I, I guess I should do that. People always ask me what podcast should I listen to? So um, yeah, I can uh, let me think of, of some good ones. Um, maybe while I'm thinking of that, I can make some other recommendations. So one thing that uh, I, I recently purchased that's been a real game changer for me is an espresso machine. Um, <laughs> Why didn't you bring this up earlier? We could talk about coffee the whole hour. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we can go for another hour, but uh, just talking about coffee. Um, <laughs> but I got a really nice espresso machine. Um, it's an Electra. Uh, the, the model is uh, Micro Casa Semi-Automatica. And um, it's a beautiful Italian. It's brass and copper. Oh, so it's like an E61? Uh, similar, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's this beautiful machine, and and uh, you know when people come over to my house, they always comment on it. And it wasn't cheap, but um, the way I sort of justified getting it was um, I thought about you know every day I, I have at least one coffee, and uh, you know an espresso usually a, a you know with milk a latte or macchiato or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and in San Francisco, I, I don't know uh, <laughs> what they cost where you are, but but. Uh, <laughs> Here, you know, a latte easily goes for, you know, $4 or, or $5, something like that. And, um, you know, my, my wife also enjoys coffee. So between the two of us, we were spending about $10 per day um, doing that. And so, you know, if you add it up in a year, you're spending, you know, $3,650 on, on coffees. And so, um, you know, I, I basically started there and said, okay, what if instead of having coffees out, I just take that $3,650 as a budget mm -hmm. um, and I can buy some really nice equipment and have it at home? Well, you still need coffee grounds, right? <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's not it's not totally free and, you know, milk costs money and, and all <laughs> that. But, um, you know, I think, you know, again, in San Francisco, a lot of what you're paying for, a lot of the cost of that $5 coffee isn't the milk or the beans. Um, it's the real estate. Uh, you know, it's the commercial real estate. And it's the labor, you know, we have a, a high minimum wage uh, here as well. Mm -hmm. And if it was something, if it was work that I really didn't enjoy doing, I would be happy to outsource that to someone else, pay someone else to make my coffee. Um, but it turns out that I actually love making myself an espresso in the morning and just, you know, just trying to perfect it and, um, mm -hmm. you know, get the, 
the ratio of, of grounds to water just right. I completely understand. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> the, you know, pouring, pouring the milk and, uh, you know, steaming the milk, getting the steamed milk just right and, and pouring it and, and, and sort of perfecting that, that art. So, mm. um, like I said, if I didn't enjoy that, I'd, I'd happily pay for, for someone else to do it. But, um, but I actually really enjoy the ritual of making myself an espresso in the morning. So, what sort of grinder do you use? Uh, that's a great question. I have a, a Macap M to M burr grinder, um, which is uh, s- similar color actually, mm-hmm. sort of that brass color. So it sort of matches uh, matches the machine. Um, it's doserless, and um, yeah, it's it's there's nicer grinders out there, but but this one's pretty good, I think. Um, I really like the just the the design of it. Um, but it, it obviously is a, a good grinder as well. Um, and then I have a really nice scale. Um, so there's a company, I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it, um, but it's spelled A-C-A- Akaya? Akaya, is yeah, that how you yeah, say yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. Akaya. Yeah, yeah, I have that one as well. <laughs> so um, do you have do you have the uh, espresso scale, the, the pearl or the, the lunar? I have the lunar, the, the black one. Yeah, the, the one that I have is the lunar. So that's built to put right on the drip tray. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can actually, um, yeah, it's it's a great, uh, great little scale, super precise. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not not cheap, yeah. but um, really, really nice scale. The only thing uh, I don't like about the scale is it has a, uh, uh, it has a lithium ion battery, a rechargeable battery. Um, and the connector for it is uh, micro USB. I really wish it was USB-C. Or... But you need to charge it like once per three months or something. It's not... No, that's right. I, it's it's very infrequent. The, the battery is great. But um, every time, I, I, I just hate that connector, <laughs> that, that old plug. And... No, it's a, it's a great little thing. It's just like seeing the eyes of friends when you tell them how much you paid for a scale. It's like, what? what's wrong yeah. with you? But it's really the best scale, I will say. Um, and, and like I said, if, if you factor in all the money that you save from, you know, going to the, the local coffee shop, uh, mm-hmm. it, it does pay for itself. And, and you know, I think the scale will last uh, quite a long time. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, again, if it was something I didn't enjoy, I, I probably would just pay pay to have someone else make my coffee. But it it's a great, uh, great hobby. So I I, I'd recommend uh, all of those things. Oh, yeah. And then podcast recommendations. So let me let me give a couple of those. Um, there's an NPR show called Hidden Brain uh, with Shankar Vedantam, um, which is, is really great. If you haven't heard of that, uh, highly recommended. Um, there's a show about the internet called Reply All uh, that I really like uh, that Gimlet produces. Um, that's a great one. Uh, there's, a, there's a design podcast called 99% Invisible um, by Roman Mars on Radiotopia. That's a, a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, Malcolm Gladwell has a really interesting podcast called Revisionist History. Um, I would recommend that. Um, there's another one that's called, uh, you are not so smart, which is about, uh, cognitive biases and, um, basically each, each episode. And sometimes they'll spend, uh, multiple episodes on a singular, a uh, single cognitive bias, um, a way that, that sort of, uh, you know, humans make mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a pattern that, that humans will, will make mistakes in. Um, and I think being aware of those, um, you know, obviously you, you still, you can never really get rid of the bias. Um, but I think if you're aware of it, it, sometimes you can, can catch yourself. Um, even if you have a subconscious bias, your, your conscious Mm -hmm. mind can then realize what you're doing and and correct that error. Um, so that's a a really good one. Um, uh, oh man, so many. Well, you know, I, I asked for three recommendations and we, okay, too many. (laughs) Uh, let me, let me do one more, one more podcast one. Uh, this one's really fun. It's, uh, it's, it's not, uh, it won't really make you smarter or anything like that. It's just entertaining. Um, it's called Everything is Alive. And the idea with this one is that he'll take these inanimate objects, mm-hmm. like a can of Coke or something like that, and interview it. There's someone, <laughs> it, you know, it's fiction, obviously. It's not really, uh, if you interview a can of Coke, it wouldn't say anything. Um, but, but there's an actor who will play, uh, you know, sort of pretend to be the can of Coke and um, just talk about what it's like to be a can of Coke and, you know, what's it like to sit in the fridge and then somebody opens the fridge and you think, oh, you know, are, are you going to take me out? Oh, no. It's like, and then it's like, do you want to be, do you, do you want someone to drink you or do you not want someone to drink you and all these different things. So um, anyway, it's it's really funny. There's It's a relatively new podcast. I think there's only four or five episodes mm-hmm. out, but um, I've, I've really enjoyed all of them so far. And um, it's fun. It's about 30 minutes long, um, highly enjoyable. 
so yeah, I guess that can be that can be my last podcast recommendation. Okay, great. Um, well, we have a lot of recommendations today. <laughs> sorry, sorry for overloading. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's it's always like with podcasts. It's there are so many and there's so little time, and then you just try to scratch like uh, scram them in and like more and more. Uh, do you listen at one time speed or do you? go faster it's a great question uh, most of the time when i'm like relaxing and listening to podcasts for enjoyment um as i do with everything is alive um and a, a number of the other podcasts i name i will listen at 1x there's a, a couple other podcasts that i listen to uh sort of more in a professional capacity um mm -hmm. podcasts about investment and fundraising and, and things like that business um which are sort of uh, less pleasure listening and more work listening for me. <laughs> um, and those sometimes I, I will speed up, but usually I don't go faster than one and a half. Um, and, and uh, you know, Breaker has, has a, a couple different increments in between one and one and a half. So we, we, have, um, we have 1x, but then we also have 1.2 and uh, 1.4. So usually I'm, I'm, uh, if I do speed it up, either 1.2, 1.4, maybe 1.5 mm -hmm. the fastest. Well, um, great. Uh, thank you, Eric, for your time. Uh, this has been uh, a pleasure, uh, as, as always. Hey, Miha, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much for thinking of me and, and having me on. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, good luck continuing that streak of, uh, of Ruby Heroes. We'll see, see how many more you can get. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, thank you again, and bye. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. This is my interview with Eric. Parallel Passion is still a new podcast. Sharing with your friends and followings helps us a lot. Just send out a tweet or post a link on your Facebook. You want your friends to enjoy a good podcast, right? If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, I'd love to see a new review there. We have a couple, but there's never too many. If you use a different app like Breaker, Overcast, or anything that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there as well. This podcast is free, but you can also support it with your hard-earned money. So I would like to thank existing Patreon supporters and invite you to join them by visiting patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. Or open the show notes in your podcast app and follow the Patreon link there. Every dollar goes towards covering the hosting costs and hopefully one day new audio gear. Thank you. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at PurposePod on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes in your podcast app and on our website, parallelpassion.com slash 16. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day.